Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. Today, you're going to meet Ursula Ulka. Ursula is a dear friend of mine who is a world-class pianist, organist, vocalist, teacher. She lives in St. Gallen, Switzerland, uh, which is a magical, beautiful place. And I urge you all to go to Switzerland in general and specifically that area because it's just beautiful. Um, Ursula has been doing what she does for quite some time and she is a fascinating, lovely person. You can enjoy meeting her. She comes from a performing family. Her sister uh, has been the killer queen on stage um, in a stage production of um, We Will Rock You, a queen musical. Brian May uh, has literally played guitar next to her. She sung next to him. Uh, the whole family is incredibly talented, but Ursula especially, uh, you're just going to love meeting her. If you have questions about Ursula or me or any of the guests or want more information about anything involving the podcast, go to isthatreallylegal.com and I will happily respond to the messages you give. Also, subscribe to this podcast. Rate this podcast wherever you get it. You know, you might be getting it from... Um, Audible. You might be getting it from iHeartRadio. You knows where you're from Apple. I mean, this thing is available all over the place. Uh, so make sure that you write to us, you review it. It's It does everybody a lot of good. In any event, here now is Ursula Ulka, direct from Switzerland. You're going to love her. Ursula Ulka. Thank you for being on Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. I'm so thrilled to see you and have you. Thanks. You're welcome. I was so surprised that you asked me. Oh, well, no. So um, I don't know if you've listened to any episodes, but what's fun about this show for me is that um, my wife and our mutual friend Jody said, you should do a podcast right around the time the pandemic was happening. And I said, everyone has a podcast. They're going to say, sorry, Eric, They're, we're all full up, no podcast. But, you know, my wife, when she wants me to do something, um, either I do it right away or she convinces me to do it fairly soon. So that's what happened. And I thought it was going to be a legal podcast, all about law stuff. And sorry about the noise. It's just the apartment. Anyway, um, I did a couple of episodes with lawyers and I was just like, it wasn't as interesting to me and I knew it wouldn't be interesting to other people. I know so many creative people um, before. I'm so sorry. That is Brooklyn. They will stop. Um, but anyway, before uh, or alongside the time I was a lawyer, you know, I've been a performer and creative in a lot of different ways. And I know so many creative people and I represent creative people. And I thought, let's do something different. So What's happened now is I've really tried to get as many different, unusual people that normally may not, people may not have heard of, um, including focusing on a lot of women, a lot of people of color, a lot of queer people, um, and just people that I think will be entertaining and educational. Because my point to people, and I will let you talk in a minute, my point for people to get is there's no straight line and that their plans are amusing but plans don't really get life to happen. You can make yourself accident prone, you know, to good things, but 
um, none of us has a straight line in terms of like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I want to be a this. And then you set out and then life happens. You get knocked off course or you find a new thing you didn't even know about. And you're like, oh my God, I'm excited to be doing this, or, you know? And um, some of us end up where we thought we'd be. Some of us, not at all, but hopefully we're happy. And when I think of happy, and this is the, this is the main part, I think of you, Ursula. I think of you as one of the most creative people I know, incredibly talented, and you are a happy person. And I know that's not an accident. So um, I felt like you'd be a gift for listeners. So first of all, for people who are listening, Americans will recognize that you are not American by your accent. And they'll be like, but wait, she like, so your accent to me sounds very English. And I'm guessing you learned your English from English people from England. Is that accurate? No. No, okay. <laughs> Boom. Well, that's fine. Where did you learn your English? Because you are Swiss. I am Swiss, yes. Uh, with a lot of German roots, yes. Got it. So yeah, my, my, my name actually, okay. My last name comes from Berlin. My father was first uh, from Berlin and he uh, came to, after the war, he came to uh, Switzerland to work because there wasn't any work for him in Berlin. And he had, had done an apprenticeship, I believe in a factory that produced, um, you know, like the things that you, that you use to make stamps. Like you, okay. you, you, you um, put on documents and stuff. So he had kind made had had kind of an education there, and he but he came to Switzerland and and he worked for a pastor in the French speaking part of Switzerland. That's where he met my mum, who so, also spent a year um, as a servant in the French speaking part. That's what Swiss German girls did back then. They went and, and and worked for French Swiss French people, and uh, to learn some French. Now, for and people, that's where they met. <laughs> got it. Now, for me, when I think of the French part of Switzerland, I think of like Geneva, but there's more than Geneva as French part, right? Where what, where about were they when they met? They were in Lausanne, so it's on the Lake of Geneva, and but not far uh, from Italy too, I guess. No, 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 not far. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, so that's where they met, but um, we di we digress. Uh, it was the, the question about English. I had my very first English teacher at the local high school, and he was a fabulous man of the theater. He loved the theater. He was in cabaret, very witty, very funny, and um, he uh, had the most amazing educational skills. Um, like he he came once he came in as a as a cowboy he was portraying a cowboy and 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 he was doing the whole lesson in in what we perceived as much as we could in American slang and and another lesson before Christmas he just got to one of the students and said um go to Music Cook which was like the the local record store get me White Christmas <laughs> And the, 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 then we had we still had the long place. The 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 guy came back and we listened and we learned White Christmas with, together with Bing Crosby, and wow. it, it, it was just he was very gifted. And we all talked English really. I think after about three months we could really talk in English, and without 
much homework. He was amazing. Well, I but find, uh, as you know, we have many friends in common from literally all over the world, many of whom, like you, English is not their first language. Mm -hmm. But I think of you as one of the better English speakers. Mm -hmm. And you're quite eloquent in a language that you did not grow up with. Um, yeah. Which I, I think is fantastic. I just want, I am going to back up a second. For, you know, most of us Americans forget that in World War II, as a result, um, many Germans who had nothing to do with the nastiness but lived there had to live with the consequences of losing the war, having their homes bombed. Um, you know, I've been to Berlin. There are still craters in Berlin. Like there, there are parts of Berlin that still haven't been fixed, which is amazing going on now almost 80 years. Um, and um, so people, you know, I'm sure you were given stories of deprivation or heard stories of difficulties that a lot of Americans and a lot of other non-Europeans have no idea how hard that was. Did you grow up with those kind of stories? I did because I, I mentioned that I have a lot of German roots, meaning my father's just one of them. My, uh, I do too, by the way. We you just did left. Too? Yeah, I mean, half of my family is from like Hamburg from the 1800s. Oh, and all, yeah, and parts of what are now Germany, but I think were Prussia at the time, because that's a whole kingdom or country that doesn't even exist anymore. But I'm sorry, I interrupted. So you were talking about your German roots. No, it's, it's, it's funny that you mentioned Prussia because that's where my dad and his mother were hiding from the Hitler Jugend that he should join. He was actually, you know, he was, uh, um, he was summoned to be part of that Hitler youth. And uh, so he was for about a half a year, I believe when he was 10 or something. And then they fled uh, from farm to farm, little farm to little farm in, and sort of in Prussia hiding from all those um, different kinds of stormtroops and stuff until it was over. My granddad, his dad, he actually got um, sent to, uh, just before the last bit of the war, he ended up in Russia when it was over and oh. he walked back to Berlin. I mean, <laughs> that's a long walk. It's a long walk, and I believe it was a it was heavy and a dangerous one because he was obviously was German, and um, I, he made it. He made it. He died long, long after, and wow. um, it was quite a content man. You know, he's very simple man. I believe he worked as a as a workman his whole life, and but my um, mother's side, her mother. She was from the south of Germany. She grew up in Lindau, which is on the Lake Const Constance, uh, which, which is a lake that they share with Swiss people and the Austrian people. <laughs> and uh, so my, my granddad got to know this really warm-hearted, um, outgoing German lady, um, very hardworking as well. And she, uh, of course, had, had her own stories to share and when she was married, um, she was married when the Second World War started. She, they, she always told me while she was still alive 
um, that they had to hide in the cellar, you know, when the bombs came, because we are so close. I live in St. Gallen, which is the east of Switzerland, northeast of Switzerland. And uh, they had to hide and go down to the cellar where my mother was born in 1940. So she could still remember a little bit of, you know, they had to go to to a dark room downstairs and wait until the bombing stopped. And St. Gallen was lucky they didn't have much much damage with from the bombs but it was very close and it was very frightening and um and also it was very frightening not to have so much food as they used to be able to get and so i remember my grandma as you know the one that would always cook for about 10 people when three people arrived so (laughs) (laughs) and make it beautiful you know beautiful doughy dishes and pasta dishes and you just came out like my god (laughs) can't get another drop of water down anymore you know (laughs) so you still live in St. Gallen you while you have traveled all over the world I know I've been some of those places with you but you have stayed in St. Gallen is it just you just love Switzerland you love St. Gallen it's just your home I would say, you know, you said in the beginning that nobody's life goes in a straight line. That to me, it doesn't mean that we don't think it should. <laughs> yeah, that's for and, sure. Uh, it took me a while. And, you know, we, we got to know each other in one of those self-growth courses of Ariel and Chaya Kane. Yes. And it took me a while and some seminars there to actually appreciate the fact that I wasn't the one choosing the paths, but I was the one choosing how to go my path, you know, how to right. dwell on it and how to how to enjoy my walk you know, as your Aboriginals say. Yes. Um, and and it's, it's, it's funny that you said that because it's, these are such rigid ideas that don't, I don't know where they come from. I think a lot of people share them, you know, that something should be in a straight way and logical and practical and obvious even, you know. Mm. <laughs> and then you live your life and you think, oh my God, you know, it feels like I'm drunk or something. <laughs> well, you, you know, we meet people that we don't expect to meet and they yes. can literally just change the course of our lives completely, whether it's a love affair or a teacher, or a really good friend. And then these people, besides meeting them and sharing experiences that you've never had before, they can also say, hey, you wanna go to Greece with me? And you're like, I hadn't thought of that. I know you go to Greece or have gone to Greece a lot because you're a teacher and I wanna get into what it is you do. But the, the, you know, something like that where you've never, you know, for me, the first time I went to Costa Rica for a week long seminar with Ariel and Shia, I'd never been that far south. I'd never been any place where I promised to not use my phone or my computer to <laughs> hang out with people, to like think of nine o'clock at night as late, um, <laughs> to get up with the sun, to hear howler monkeys wake me up and to just, you know, I used to be afraid of certain wild animals and bugs and things. And then I became fascinated by them. You know, so bats don't scare me. Spiders don't scare me. Uh, I don't know, but, but that's a whole, I mean, these are tiny things, but, you know, tiny things lead to bigger things, right? And then a small change over time becomes a big change. So meeting you was one of the wonderful things that have happened 
for me. I remember specifically uh, meeting you. Uh, I think we were both. Were we on our way to Costa Rica together or were we going somewhere? I, we were hanging out together in a mutual friend's house, I think Dave and Pam. And uh, I have a memory of us hanging out together, but we've attended a lot of these seminars and we've gone through a lot of interesting things together. Um, <laughs> on that note, let me sidetrack for a minute and go. So you, you're a teacher and a performer. Was that always a goal? Like, how did that happen? Um, my mother is a, a musician. She's a concert singer. She used to sing opera and oratorio when I was a little girl. And that was like my first um, certainty that I was becoming, I was to become an opera singer for sure when I was six. Now she, by the way, who, who I know, Rose. Right? Rosie. Yeah, Rosie. Um, and your sister who I haven't met but is also a famous performer. So it's almost like you are a family of performers. And that is yeah, that part I, of? Yeah, totally true, yes. And I have a, a brother who's also a performer. He's a saxophonist and conductor. My sister is on stage as a musical performer in like she was for 10 years, she performed as the killer queen in We Will Rock You. And she now actually makes a teaching degree um, and one of the contributing factors was uh, the outbreak of the pandemic. When, because when you, then she could do it online. <laughs> so that's great because otherwise, uh, knowing something of her career, she's constantly on stage, like literally she's on stage for 10 years straight or something. And yes. she, like most performers, having been a performer myself, you're afraid to say, well, I'll take six months or a year because you're afraid that when you go back, everyone will have forgotten you and they won't want you anymore, even when you're great. But there's this something that terrifies performers that if they like take any time off, this is why so many women performers, like they're afraid to have kids or if they have a kid, they like have them on their back in rehearsals. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> you know what I mean? They just can't, it, it, it's tough. Um, uh, so anyway, uh, so did you go to school for music or teaching or anything? Um, I, I, I said, I, this was like my first wish of profession, opera singer. And I saw something on, on TV, like the opera of Freischutz, where, and, and did, I, I don't even know what, what performance that was. It looked like, in my, in my memory, it's like a, a, a live performance um, broadcast from a theater. And I went like this, I want to do. And then I went through all the other professions while I was growing up because I loved school. I loved, I was very ambitious. I, I was very good at it and I loved crafting. So I was going to become a crafts teacher and then I was going to become a nurse and then I was going to become a teacher. And then I didn't know what, what subject. And at about 16, the, the, the singing, playing music thing came back <laughs> because I had a really lovely uh, piano teacher and I was about to start having singing lessons and the piano teacher just really took me in and she said, if you want, you can do it. You know, you, you have you've got enough talent and I believe you could be a good teacher. And so I entered the um, music. Um, uh, how do you say that in English? Conservatory. Conservatory. It was then called the Conservatory of Music. Um, and but before. 
of course, because my female family um, had the idea that they were poor. Um, it was really important that I learn a, a you know, a good profession before. Something money to make money. Yes. So I became a secretary first. Oh. And, uh, and I was very good at it, too. And sure. then I went and did the conservatory thing. And it was so funny because my sister had the same thing going. She wanted to be a performer and she became a secretary first as well. So we're both really good on a typewriter. <laughs> well, I've seen you play piano. In fact, I've sung while you've played piano at you least have. once. Yeah. And um, I think, first of all, I love the piano. I'm sorry, I didn't keep up with it. But I'm glad that I learned as a musician, I've, I've been a string instrument player, but I think it's important for all musicians to start with the piano because in a strange, well, it's not strange, because the whole language of music is right in front of you when you sit at a piano. The concept of whole steps, half steps, naturals, flats, it is literally physically in front of you. So you can picture when you're going from a C to a B natural, that's a half step. And then you go B flat on the black key and you hear it being the flat. It, you know, you may not necessarily have that if you are playing on other instruments. There's something about that visual component for me that really helps put all of music in perspective. Do you find that to be true for you too? I think it's a great way for students to start. I love the piano. I love because it's so, so boring and it's set up, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's structured like a meter mess and, and it's, it's really self-explanatory. If you're not afraid to look, it's like really, it looks like, you know, a really lovely thing to walk your fingers across, you know, have your, as, it, as I call them, the piano feet, you know, <laughs> so, um, and, and it's very, as you say, as you just beautifully explained, it's very self-explanatory. It's very visual and it's, it's very simple in a way. And this is of course true in one sense, not true in another, because well, sure. there's a lot of, it's an instrument that requires quite a bit of organization and, and quite a bit of listening and, co and co body coordination because you also have the foot going and stuff. But I- And both hands, that left yeah. hand. I never mastered the left hand, which for people, if you don't know, is really all the bass notes or for the most part. I mean, you can have two hands way up high in the octaves, but for the most part, when we think of the right hand, we're thinking of the melody line and we think of the left hand, we're thinking of the bass which is also a great way of thinking of orchestration and arrangement. So again, it's right there in front of you. Yes. Uh, but it's, and it's like anything else. It's simple, but to master it is a lifetime. Absolutely. Like anything. I, I didn't think that when I studied music, I thought I would be done by about the fifth or sixth semester. You know? And I had the shock of my life. My my piano piano teacher then used to do like class lessons, you know, where everybody in her class was would um, play to each other, whatever they were studying at the moment, in whatever state they were doing it. Like some might just have just started the piece in the, a month ago, and some were about to finish it. So we, I knew that. But I was, I still remember to this day was one of these enlightening moments 
where somebody from the eighth semester was playing somebody, something and I was there and I felt like I was in church listening to the, you know, Pope. And, and I thought, oh God, she must be so good. She's in the eighth semester. And then she made a few mistakes and I, and I felt like, what? You, you, one can do mistakes when you're in the eighth semester. <laughs> it, it reminds me of Pablo Casals, My- <laughs> the, the famous cellist who at near the end of his life, he could barely walk. But when he got into the cello, mm-hmm. he played masterfully and he was interviewed. And he was in his 80s and they said, you know, how do you look at your playing now after this whole career? He goes, I think I'm finally learning how to actually play this instrument. It's <laughs> paraphrasing, but like, and I, I think, I, you know, I feel that way about life. You know, I don't know that I've made a study of life in the past. I think I've paid more attention over the last several years doing some of the courses that you and I have done and having relationships that I've had and paying attention to how I used to work automatically through my life and now being a little more awake, I feel like, oh, wow, I've been here 60 years. I'm finally starting to understand how to not get my hands caught in the gears, (laughs) you know? Uh, So to do that with playing an instrument. I I love how you say that. Yes, not to find, not to get your hands stuck in the gears. Um, it really is like that. And I feel like the longer I live and play my instruments and sing and even the listening, you know, listening to other people, it's become in a way deeper. But it just I, I was just um, uh, triggered by you, what you said before. And I thought, I think I think what really is very different is letting go of the pretense how something has to be how something how i have to perform how how something um is supposed to happen and feel and and um go about you know and i i now am teaching at the the, the high school that i was that i learned my uh, that I learned to know my my piano teacher who was really influential in in me studying music and I am I'm one of those teachers and I can feel that sometimes I do inspire and I know that I do inspire and not feel it because I get messages back when they finished you know and I get these beautiful little cards where they 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 spell out something that I cannot recall having said to them or having been in their life, you know, that, that I had this position that they, that somehow something imprinted on them. And it's just so moving and it's just so amazing. I mean, talking about this straight line that, that one thinks life should take, thank God it doesn't. Wouldn't that be boring? Oh God, how I, it would be. And then it would be really a boring profession, you know? Yeah, whatever we do. Be boring. <laughs> yeah, I think some of the delight, um, as you know, I'm a lawyer, but I'm also a musician and a performer in a variety of ways. And I think and some very of the good one at oh, that. Thank you. We, uh, we did have the, you know, <laughs> I did have the honor to accompany you and play around you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, I think it's delightful when the unexpected happens and then you get to see 
what you do with it. I feel like I, I personally have gotten to the point of confidence in a lot of areas where I don't overthink when something, when suddenly something doesn't go as planned. Uh, I have a place of trust to move forward into that space, knowing that the worst that happens is it's a goof. And I'm very good at handling that. I think we're all better at handling mistakes, quote unquote mistakes, than we give ourselves credit for. And I think mm. there's so much unnecessary drama. I'm wondering if this is what you're talking about. But because, you know, look, the piano, you, you put a Beethoven sonata on the piano, you read it, you know, you play it. It has to go a certain way. That's what the music says. And I assume that's what Beethoven wanted. Sure, there's room for some interpretation. I, I understand that. But you can't just say, I'm changing this movement. <laughs> no, that's not what it is. But when things happen, I think one of the wonderful opportunities we have is to enjoy the happy accidents of life. You know, um, can you talk about that for you? I don't want to pontificate here. I, I, you're my guest. Do you, do you enjoy the happy accidents even in music that should be a certain way? And have you had any experiences like that? Well, first of all, I do like listening to you, just so we're clear. <laughs> You're very sweet, and I appreciate it. So um, just keep doing, you know, keep speaking. <laughs> I'm in the listening business. <laughs> uh, well, we both are, but yes, we're and, very uh, good and at the it. Happy, happy accidents, yes, all the time, all the time. It's amazing. People amaze me. People and especially if they're if they're connected to music like my students amaze me on a regular basis meaning minute by minute sometimes and it's a, such a thrilling and um honorful job to do to to be there to listen to a human being making music or just you know being in the space of music, I want to say, I want to see it as open as I can, because it's not about, um, in the end, it's not about Beethoven sonatas or not even about, you know, getting music theory or getting uh, how, how a scale is, is, is done. Um, these are all tools to get in, in contact with a human being. And that is amazing each time. And it, I've, I also learned that music for most of my students, I mean, I teach at this high school. So I, at the high school, I have students who are between 12 and 19 years old, most of the time. Some of them are a bit older or maybe a bit younger, depending on how quick they went through the first sixth grade. So they're mm. grade seven to 12, if you, if you want, 12 sure. or 13. And, and so they are in, in their own little teenage war, physically, mentally, you know, and, and, and spiritually, a lot of them as well. Sure. And my, my, my job, I have them one-on-one, -on -one, so I do not have a group. So there's, there's, a, there's a huge intimacy in that space. We're like a little insula, insula in, that, in that big school of mine. And you get them... How do I put this? Like you get, you know, the ones that say, 
I made this much progress showing it by their hands, you know, mm. or I really have a question now. Now, this thing about scales, how, how important is that? <laughs> <laughs> and then you tell them, well, most of the melodies are made up by scales and triads. And they go, okay, okay, then I'll learn them. <laughs> and you get all kinds of different different types and some of them you come in the room you tell them you can just warm up a little bit I get myself a coffee you come back and they are hunched over at the piano you know try and 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 chiming to themselves some really soft triads and so you come in and they're like oh they're, they're like um, taken aback a bit. And I said, what, what were you just doing? That sounded marvelous. Mm -hmm. And uh, that particular student said, oh, I just, I just, you, I feel like triads are like cloud sounds, cloudy sounds. And I want to be on that cloud seven. <laughs> yeah, for me, as a pop music writer, I find triads and also understanding where you know steps um to be important just for things like backing vocals why do you know three voices sound great when they're in a certain configuration and why do they sound not great in others you could just again go back to a piano keyboard and mm -hmm. see this works this well it all works it's just a question of how does it work because sometimes you want discord if you're yes, doing that and, kind of and thing. For everybody who doesn't know what a triad is, it's do do do. Like it's the beginning of the Danube balls. Do 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 you know? So yes. that, it's like some there's something that matching in that. When we say and one three five? One three five, yes. Yeah. One, and three, for you, by the way, if you're listening and you're like, what is all this music <laughs> stuff? Feel free to write me at is that really legal.com. And uh, I, between myself or Ursula, we can recommend some great books for you or great things to listen to or just keep listening because it really doesn't matter. It matters and it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. By the way, your cat is staring at me over your shoulder in the most <laughs> adorable way. Is that Gizmo? <laughs> no, that she's actually sleeping. Oh, can that's not a cat. It's, it's a not pillow. a cat. It's a pillow. <laughs> I thought I, it looked like a cat staring over your shoulder trying to like be a part of the conversation. No. That's hysterical. No, his name is, uh, the, the other cat's Bacho and he's asleep on the grand piano. That's like his favorite spot. I think because it tickles him on the stomach. Oh, when you play. <laughs> yes. Right, the vibrations. Well, that's great. Yes, and um. I mean, I love, I love that because um, it it reminds me to come back to your first question because music was the music and singing especially was the was the one thing that actually led me to go to Australia when when I was twenty nine. That's where my English comes from, and I and I spent over over the over the time of about six years, I spent there three years in training to sing. I found a beautiful teacher, very funny, eccentric lady that I loved. And, and that's where most of my English came from. I also shared my house there with a with an ex-English teacher who uh, was working for the Mo Sydney Morning Herald, which is like 
it's like the biggest newspaper in, in New York. What's it, what's it called? The New York Times. Yes, it's a bit like the New York Times. It's like a really big, good newspaper. Mm. And she was working there in the educational department, going out to all these uh, country schools, and they were telling them and teaching them how to research themes for their for their HSC, which is like their last test um, after high school. And she loved to talk. So I that's where my English comes from. <laughs> you know, I, because you've been in my home, because we're good friends, um, you know, we have some Australian art in our collection because my wife used Dude, to go to I Australia. <laughs> um, and my wife worked for Australians in a whole other chapter of her life. And I feel very lucky that she didn't follow, like she had this thought that she was going to just move to Australia. I never would have met her. So like, I mean, I talk about... So <laughs> right, so we're very lucky that she decided to be in Brooklyn, uh, where she belongs. Um, and we have other friends who've had a lot of experience with Australia. Um, we have another Swiss friend named Karine who yes. I know has been involved with Australia. And we have friends who live in Australia. Pesha is a woman who lives in Sydney. I have to I, get there. I, yeah, I, I, I've I, never been. Is it? I beautiful? actually saw Pesha in in Sydney. And oh. once in Melbourne, because um, when we were still able to travel, I was going back to Australia like about every three, four years to visit all my friends there. And they, those, those friends used to be in Sydney. That's where I was based most of the time when I was there. And now they are, you know, they're retired. They moved to nicer more beautiful cheaper spots all over the country so I every time I go to visit I have to split myself between the Gold Coast and Tasmania and Melbourne and Sydney and Wulamulu and I don't know you know <laughs> well it's a good thing that when you come to New York we're much more concentrated and you can see us all it's pretty brilliant. easily I love the New Yorkers they usually do not move <laughs> <laughs> it's too expensive to move I have we I just want to be aware of time because we are flying through it. Um, you are, are obviously a, a teacher and a, a great teacher. You also accompany people and you perform. Um, yes. What is I love that you don't think one of those things is better than another. You and I have both gone through that experience too. I mean, I don't know what you were like before, but I used to think being an actor or stand-up or a musician or whatever was better than being an attorney. And then I discovered that whatever I was doing was wonderful in that moment. And I would know the universe and I'm getting all airy-fairy on you people. I don't care. <laughs> um, it's just the truth is I'm living it. Uh, the universe shows up in a way and it says, you're going to do this. And I, when I'm listening and I hear it, and I follow it, my life is good. And it's really not about what I'm doing. But once I'm doing what is clearly supposed to be done, life is just easier and I'm good at what's happening. Is that your experience too? I, I, it's, I pretty much know the answer, gonna, but I'll ask you anyway. Well, I think that's something that uh, deeper that we do have in common with actually a lot of people, if they're honest, that we are multi-talented. Mm. and that um, back in those days where I used to roll my eyes more regularly than I do now um, <laughs> I used to get really angry and mad at people in silent of course because I'm quite a polite person 
I, I, I learned to hold all of that back, but not my look, you know, people always refer to my, I can see, we can see it in your eyes, you're really mad, you know, but um, when they, when they used to say I was playing the piano and they would say, oh, you have, have you stopped singing? And I went like, no, I haven't. And then I used to go and, and sing a concert and they would go, oh, have you stopped playing the piano? And like, no, I haven't. And, and it, it, I wasn't as cool as I'm now, right? You know, then, back sure. then, thinking I'm doing something wrong. Why do they think that, you know? And, and thinking and having that thought, it was really, um, you know, brains breed thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> They do that and they are as, uh, you know, they're, they're, I don't know what the quality of those, I'm not going to tell you anything about the quality of those thoughts or it's going to get nasty. So well, I think they're like, I'm going to, I'm going to be blunt. Um, it's like farts. They're, you know, they happen. We don't have to celebrate them. We don't have to be embarrassed by them. We just have to like live yeah. through them. Absolutely. I learned a new word in one of the one of the seminars that I take with the Canes uh, lately, and which was it's a nothing burger. Yes, I remember being there with you. They are nothing burgers, nothing burgers. I really love that. (laughs) But one of those was, you know, that I need to decide which which road to take or won't be good enough in either of them. And then to discover that I'm actually, because I'm me, I'm only good in either of them if I just follow the lead of, you know, you call it the universe. I would call it, you know, life, sometimes God, sometimes maybe the devil, I don't know. You know, it really doesn't <laughs> matter. It's, just, it's, it's determined by reality. And if I get a job as a, an accompanist on the piano, I love doing it. If I get a, a job as a concert singer for, uh, I just did this week, a beautiful funeral where when he said the songs that he wanted to have to have to get uh, sung to uh, by me um, for his mum, who I think was in her mid seventies, I went like, oh, that's such a beautiful song. They were, they were really, really old traditional songs from Swiss culture and and church culture that i would call them soul songs you know they are not they're not even in any style they're just soul songs there you could i don't know if you know the teze culture there i is, don't know what is that there is i i don't really know either but i knew no people who regularly go to this i think it's a beautiful spot if i'm right in france where they they are celebrating the divine i would say maybe it's more religious than i think but by by these beautiful songs that repeat themselves and repeat themselves and it's almost like meditational songs to praise life and 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 god and and the universe and nature and they have some some inner magic and and those songs that i sang on on tuesday were, were a bit like that and one of them had six verses and I could hear my brain going, what am I going to do different in those verses? And then I thought, maybe I don't have to do anything different. They, they understand the words. It's all right if it's all beautiful. <laughs> you know? Yeah, sometimes people actually want a consistent thing. 
sometimes that's what's being asked. I'd say you're, you're, it's amazing that your mind comes up with problems that may not exist. I have a similar mind. It does that too. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah. So I, but I it's, remember, it's, yeah. it's so lovely to, to actually, um, you know, dive into your multi-talents. It's uh, just such fulfilling life if you do. And each and every one of us, I'm, I, I get the proof each day, is multi-talented. Sometimes we don't recognize things as talents that we can do, you know, but it really is. And, it, and then it gets so colorful. Well, I think that um, early in my life, I didn't realize that being funny was a talent. I just assumed <laughs> everybody could be funny. And then as an adult, I discovered it is sadly quite a rare talent. Um, yeah. And a very necessary one. Mm -hmm. I remember when uh, I was taking time off from being a lawyer, I was the vice president of a production company. And I was also performing regularly. As I got off stage after a particular performance, a woman in a wheelchair grabbed my arm. And she pulled me sort of toward her. And she said, thank you. I haven't laughed in a long time. I really needed that. And I thought, isn't that funny? This is something I think is really unimportant, you know, as opposed to representing somebody in a court or doing a contract, you know, that I thought like, wow, this really, this moved this woman and it gave her relief from something. But conversely, there was also a time in my life where I was performing here in New York on the stage and um, I thought that was important, but it became clear to me that there were other things that I, I thought that was going to be better and I wasn't enjoying it. Audiences were, it's not my fault, I'll say, but audiences were not necessarily loving it. And there was a call to me to do work for people that really needed me as an attorney. And um, I just, it's interesting, the decisions we make as very young people as to what we think will make us happy. You know, relationships are like that. There are either people I know who think, if I had a child, I would be happy, you know? And um, when they discover they get the child and life is still hard, <laughs> now it's hard and has diapers. Um, you know, uh, and, and um, we've, I think we've all been in that situation where like, I'm sad and alone, I need a relationship. And you get the relationship and you're like, oh my God, this person. I'm exhausted, you know, uh, it's, it's all us all the time. Wow, this is turning into a very metaphysical conversation. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't be surprised to be on I with such a, a brilliant person. I, I love that. Uh, um, I loved what, what you just said, you know, that it's all us. And uh, it took me maybe 20 years of self-growth seminars to find out, oh, I really enjoy being on my own. <laughs> well, you know, for people who are not going to see this, first of all, Ursula, besides being charming, which people will know because they hear you, you have one of the, I'm just going to say this and people can write me at isthatreallylegal.com. You are a pretty person. You look like an advertisement for Switzerland. You're oh smiling, you have rosy cheeks. You are robust, and for people who haven't met you, 
you're a serious hugger. Um, <laughs> I believe uh, you're, you are a physical presence in the world, which is delightful, especially at a time when, you, you know, you and I are both huggers. Yeah. And we're in a time where I'm lucky enough that I get to be with and touch my wife a lot. But for the most part, during the pandemic, we have not, you and I, but just lots of us, have not had a lot of physical contact. Um, but so you you exist on the physical plane, again, um, with real joy. And, and uh, it's not just all brains for you. It's not all just thought. And the music that you perform is very sensual. You live in a very beautiful, sensual way, if I may. You're sitting in... I'm not kidding, people. She's sitting in a throne. It is a gold-framed throne with red velvet upholstery. Occasionally, not yet today, but in the past when we've been on Zooms together, you will occasionally have one of your cat servants slash masters, depending on the circumstances, come by and drape themselves over you. Um, you are in what appears to be your bedroom. I've seen you, I think, in other rooms with this throne. Um, and I've never been to your home. But I know where you live is in the mountains. And yes, Switzerland has some amazing mountains. You may have heard of that. I have been to Geneva. I was at the base of Mont Blanc, I guess. I went, I went for a writer's oh. conference thing. And um, they had us at some university. And I look out the window and it's like, oh, those are the Alps. Interesting quick story. When you're in Geneva, which I've only been once, you get out at the train station, which is beautiful. And you're downtown, which is beautiful. And of course, there's a million watch places to go to, of course. But, um, <laughs> but um, when you are waiting for trams, and they have all these like nice trolleys and trams, people are getting on and off of them in ski outfits with their skis. Yeah. Because they're just tramming to go skiing. This is not <laughs> what we do here in Brooklyn. <laughs> there's nowhere to ski here. Um, so no one, and by the way, if you came on with skis, you would get a lot of looks because you'd be in people's way. It would <laughs> not be okay. Um, it's just a very different thing, you know, from our home, which you've been in, you can see lower Manhattan. It's very beautiful from our roof. We can see the Statue of Liberty. And I mean, I love where I live, but I find Switzerland to also be beautiful. And that's, I think the lesson, if we're going to come full circle, is that there's so many different types of beauty and so many different experiences, both physical and geographical, but also human. I, you know, I, one of the things that I think you and I have both learned is when we listen, we discover that there are things that people have to offer us that we wouldn't know if we just judged based on, oh, they don't like music or, oh, they like that kind of music. Or, and then when we open ourselves up, we discover, oh, there's something of a treasure there. Do we, I, I mean, you're smiling and looking at me. I think we're on the same wavelength. Do you have something to say about that? Now that I've talked to you for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, I like listening to you. Uh, it's it's very entertaining and very educational and very funny. And uh, yes, I have to tell you that I do own three thrones. That's a, uh, an important fact that I have a throne in this room, which is the music studio. Oh. And I have a, a smaller throne in my bedroom. And I have a, an everyday kind of throne, nice armchair in front of uh, the TV in, in my living room. And they were all bought 
in the idea that I needed a really nice chair to sit in and read. And reading is the one thing I do not do in my thrones. <laughs> this, this, um, this, this red throne with the gold, I actually bought that in my phase where I loved uh, golden angels and roses and thrones. And I saw it on eBay and I thought, oh, I want that. And I got it. And my cats, I think, ripped it apart about a week later. And um, it's waiting for like it's got it's got like a little beautiful um, uh, velvet cloth on one of the uh, one of the things where they ripped it really, and the other things are slowly because I love the fabric, but it's not it's not a proper thrown fabric, so it doesn't have the strength to actually get all that voluptuous thing right, you know right. that's going on. So it is on the plan of renovation. But I need another red one because I so love it. And it's become my Zoom throne, which is lovely. You deserve <laughs> it. And I think what's wonderful is that you you decided you deserved it and you got it. When Holly and I decided to renovate our apartment, it was during the pandemic. And um, it we looked at the numbers and not to forget, I'm not going to say the numbers, but it was not inexpensive to renovate a two-bedroom apartment in Brooklyn. And I mean, like new floors, all new furniture, knocking walls down. I mean, it's a real job. But we looked at each other and we're like, look, this is where we're going to live probably for the rest of our lives. And shouldn't we, you know, why not give this to ourselves? I think that's a thing that some people even have a hard time hearing. They might judge us about that. But there's this sort of combination, this push-pull of deprivation and desire. Mm. And um, wow, that sounds like a great title for an opera. Deprivation ah. of desire. If anyone <laughs> wants to write that for me, let me know at isthatreallylegal.com. Uh, I'm going to have to wrap this up or so we've been going for a while. <laughs> uh, you okay. are a tremendous muse. I feel like this is a lot like dating. I'll, I'll tell people the secret to dating, if I may. Oh, please. You, you don't, it, it's great if somebody is very sexy and you think they're fabulous and they make a lot of money, whatever. The reality is what's important is how you feel when you're with them. That's how I knew my wife, Holly, was for me. Um, but talking with you, Ursula, as a friend, I feel smarter, I feel funnier, and very relaxed talking to you. Now, we've known each other a long time, but you and I both know that we know other people a long time and we still don't always feel comfortable with them. <laughs> You know what yes, I mean? That's true. Absolutely. Yes. It was a feast to be with you. <laughs> Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to talk about today? I'm glad that we didn't have to talk about legal stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Me too. Everything I know about legal stuff comes from uh, um, Law and Order, New York. <laughs> I love all of them series. I love them. And I wow. love courtroom stories. But I, you know, I got to guess the law behind it because it's about the stories that they tell. So I, I'm, I'm a big, big fan of legal stories. Have <laughs> you I ever don't know anything about it. <laughs> have you ever watched The Law and Order UK? Uh, yes, I have. I, I think that uh, some of the people are better looking. But, and the law is a little different. 
But it's the same show. It's just everybody's got a British well, accent. Are you fond of those wigs? You telling me you're into wigs? <laughs> I I'll tell you. Well, first of all, you know, I did tons of theater and operetta too. Um, I oh, hate wearing okay. wigs. I hate wearing wigs because they're sweaty and itchy. <laughs> but I think they look really cool in a courtroom situation. They do. Uh, but we don't wear them here in the they states. They give it a certain pizzazz, don't we? Don't they? Yeah, it it is. But uh, in no way am I interested in bringing them back here. So no thank you. <laughs> oh. Ursula, thank you so much for being on my oh, little show. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank Ursula, you. Uh, you. You've been fantastic. And uh, please have a lovely day. And thanks again for being on Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. It was a distinct pleasure. Yes, you do. Bye. <laughs>